0: Hello and welcome to the Sports Love Podcast where we talk about the intersection of tech, media and sports and talk to some of the most interesting minds in those areas. Uh, Today we got a Great conversation talking about the ways that sports teams and rights holders can uh, attract new fans, and we have some great guests on to talk to us about that topic. But before we get to that, a reminder, as always, to please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts if you like what you're listening to. Um, Do follow us on socials at sportsloft.hq, and you can visit our website at sportsloft.co to sign up for our newsletter So today, as I said, we're chatting about ways that sports teams and rights holders can attract new fans. And to do that, we've got a stellar lineup of guests. One of the veterans of the Sports Loft podcast, the very first Sports Loft podcast guest, uh, Donnie White, CEO and founder of Satisfy Labs. Donnie, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Yanni. No place I'd rather be than right here.
0: (laughs) Great. Well, no place we'd rather have you. And our uh, industry guest today is Adrian Wells. Adrian is the Chief Marketing Officer at Harlequins. Uh, has also got a long history in this, having been the Director of Marketing, Communications, and Ticketing for the ICC Cricket World Cup in 2019, and also uh, having worked for four years for a small organization called UEFA, which uh, most of us will have heard of. Adrian, welcome to the SportsLoft Podcast. Thanks, Johnny. Pleasure to be with you. I
2: dream of the old days and we're all face to face.
0: It'll happen one day. And rounding out the stellar panel uh, is uh, our good friend, Josh Rose. Josh is the chief revenue officer at FIVO and uh, uh, sporting the, uh, f- for those of you who are going to tune in to see the clip, sporting the most natural backdrop I've seen in a while. Some beautiful ivy crawling up that wall. Josh, welcome to the podcast.
3: Great to be here as always, uh, Yanni, and I'll, I'll give you my green thumb tricks after uh, after the podcast.
0: <laughs> Listen, before we dive into the topics today, guys, it'd be fantastic if you could give us just a little snippet, you know, 30, 30 to 60 seconds of of what you do on a day-to-day basis and, and what your um, uh, what your organization is all about. And I'll start with you, Adrian.
2: Yeah, so actually timely. We've got the England playing this weekend. You've got 10 million people watching it. Typically, you've got 250,000 people watch a club rugby game. So we were the champions a couple of years ago. My job really is to elevate us into national and international conf, um, conscience and then to monetize it, grow our, grow our pool of supporters, grow, sell our tickets, season tickets, database and commercialise it, um, but do it in a really genuine way and, and sort of leverage the fan power and passion of uh, club rugby.
0: And I can definitely tell you that you've got two new fans in these guys because the last time we did this, they were uh, they were Googling the Harlequins website and they were actually falling in love with the colors and the uh, and the jerseys. So we'll definitely uh, we'll definitely be getting some uh, some orders in from there. Donnie, tell us uh, a little bit about uh, about yourself and about Satisfy Labs.
1: Uh, Satisfy is a conversational AI company. We deploy a team of AI assistants to help fans. Get their questions answered and lead them or execute transactions in chat uh, we have about 440 customers now uh, about 200 clubs and premiership rugby is one of my favorite use cases because i still keep asking what happens in a scrum and nobody can <laughs> articulate this to me in an easy way uh very excited <laughs> that pushing into the uk has been fun but uh, we're also doing a lot of work with chat gpt right now so as we push into that category, it's been a super fun time for us.
0: Awesome, thank you very much. And uh, Josh, please tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do with Fivo.
3: Yeah, happy to. Uh, Fivo is a socially enabled uh, shopping software. Uh, we are B 2 B2B solution. So, you know, we go to Harlequin's as an example and we'll integrate our software with the ticketing system or with the e-commerce system or all of the above. And really what we do is we make it super easy for customers to engage in products, um, buying tickets, buying merchandise, things like that, and then ultimately invite their friends to engage as well. Live events, as we know, it's something that we do with other people. We go with family, we, we go with friends. It's literally a social product. So um, the idea is uh, you need a digital social mechanism to uh, you know, gather your groups and, and go with your friends and engage with those products together. Uh, I'm the CRO for the company, so clients, revenue, partnerships. We have about 750 clients in the States that we support, and uh, uh, we're just now starting to push into the UK market as well.
0: So today we'll be discussing how teams and rights holders can attract new fans, but also the marketing of big one-off events, which is a way that uh, rights holders try to use to get new fans. You know, you think about Premier League club tours, you think about platforms such as All-Star Games, you think about the Premier League having thought about the 39th game internationally as a way of, of, of doing that. Um, and you guys will all have unique perspectives on this topic. Um, so, for example, recently, uh, Adrian, you guys, um, Harlequin's had a, a Big 14 game at Twickenham and you can give a little bit of a description of what the Big 14 is for, for anybody who's not familiar with that. Walk us through just the thought process behind why you want to push um, beyond the ticketing revenue uh, to, to go to a bigger venue. Um, but that also engenders a lot of challenges in terms of communication with the fan base, selling the extra tickets, et cetera, et cetera. What's the thought process behind it? Why do you go for those big big sort of one-off events?
2: Yeah, so a a typical club rugby venue is about 15,000 in this country, so not particularly big, um, but most of the teams struggle to fill that out. Um, Twickenham Stadium is 82,000, so the jump for us, we've got like 9,000 season ticket holders, so we've got a core of rugby fans, the jump to get to eighty two thousand on an annual event that we've built up um, since two thousand and eight is a huge one, and it and it started off with a community drive. Like, how can we engage our community to come and get involved in their local club? And so tickets were super cheap, ten pounds. Come along and get into the home of English rugby. It was just across the road. Literally, the players do a walk over to the stadium, and and since then we we built it up, and today it's the um, it's the biggest annual event in the world in club rugby. And uh, it's become a sort of spiritual home as around the, the festive period between Christmas and New Year. So we've made it quite a cultural moment in a calendar where we uh, we're typically the biggest sporting event in that period um, in the country. So we we've, we've we've tapped into a couple of things there. One is timing. Two is sort of history and culture building up. It's friends, groups, reunions, and that moment when you kind of got sick of the in-laws. You've had your Christmas with them and you want to get out and see your mates and your family <laughs> have a few beers and watch some live sport. Um, so uh, actually, we had a real-life real um, case this year of unpicking the real data from it because we got moved. The, uh, the RMT, the train strikes, meant at the very, very last moment we had to uh, move our event from its Christmas period into March and so we lost all of those festive reunions. And so we went from 72,000 tickets sold down to 38,000. So we've begun to understand what core rugby versus big event fans are. So um, for us, it's a chance to elevate ourselves. We get on national TV, sometimes international, these moments. We integrate a, an entertainment act. We have Faithless. Um, performing live DJ set was incredible this week we've got another version now in the summer with Kaiser Chiefs we've had the likes of Pete Tong playing and Craig David so we're trying to piece the things together to make it more than just about the rugby and if we can build an entertainment product at a reasonable price that can attract a rugby fan a big event fan and even their friends and family then we think we've got a product um, that really will deliver a brilliant day out for them, and the sort of the feedback shows that. And then we're able to grow our database, market to new people, sell merchandise, sell tickets for future events back at the Stoop, build that long-term allegiance to Harlequins, and then there's lots of commercial opportunities around that, obviously with um, various programs and partnerships. So, if, for us, it's it's relatively high risk. It's um, the cost of moving from a fifteen thousand to an eighty-two thousand stadium. You really need to be breaking into that last 10,000 seats before you're turning a strong profit. If you do it and you get it right, you're in a really sweet place. uh, And that's where we want to be. But it's really hard work um, on relatively very limited budgets, um, with the consideration that all all clubs in the league now are making um, reasonable to significant losses, uh, including ourselves. So uh, it's been... Yeah, a bit of a labour of love and over the Christmas, the move made it a particular challenge, but we feel it's the only way to grow our club and our sport is to build that property of entertainment and its visibility and a wider fan base.
0: Josh. Josh. Adrian picks out some really interesting points there, which are actually particularly relevant to you guys as well as the social cart, right, about friends coming and and expanding that group and being able to make it a social experience. When, When you guys approach rights holders to offer them FIVO services and then see the actual product in application, what is the difference between the profile and the way that sales work from your traditional regularly scheduled games whether it's the 81 home games in major league baseball or the 41 home games in the nba or whatever it is versus these one-off big events um, uh, that 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 sometimes are sellouts like the super bowl but sometimes need that extra push if it's a different kind of platform like adrian was just describing totally I, i think the differentiation between
3: Um, the two different types of one-off events is super important here, right? If you're the Super Bowl or you're MLB coming to London, if you're F1, um, it's a very different business use case. So those partners, for the most part, aren't really focused on selling tickets and and actually getting people into the building. They're focused on yield. Like, it's a scarcity asset. So Mm. at the end of the day, like, they're going to sell the tickets and they're going to, You know monetize quite well it's just about how do you maximize yield and how do you leverage scarcity right um for the other events like i love what adrian's doing by taking the risk and moving it up to the bigger building um really there the opportunity um is and the need is to ultimately sell tickets but it's about brand building and it's about giving people um, a chance to taste a new product that they might not have you know had access to before, right? Adrian kind of nailed it. They have fifteen thousand season ticket holders. um so this is a chance to basically triple or quadruple the amount of people that could go to a quince match, right Um and that ends up being you know data and a new fan that you can engage for future product selling as kind of Adrian alluded to, right? So yeah, like, FIVO, how do we participate in those events? Um, I mean, we give the the clubs and the stakeholders uh, a mechanism to get those social groups going to the match, right? Kind of what Adrienne alluded to, like how do I easily just go, invite my friends, gather a big group? You know, how do we all get our beers together, all have a good time? Um, today, that process happens anyway. It's just pretty convoluted. Um, so I think being able to wrap like the ticket, the digital communication, the sitting together—all kind of natively is a, is a big value add to the fan. And what it does is it really complements, you know, what Adrian was talking about, right? Like, how do I get, how do I sell tickets? How do I get more people in, into my building and ultimately experiencing my product? So I think the the um, cool thing about these big one-off events. Um, that you actually have to really market and like really invest in how to sell tickets and how to get people in the building. Um, You know, the dip in there, you have a ton of new audience that hopefully have a great experience and ultimately will engage with your products later on.
0: And Adrian, you touched on this earlier, right? You talked about the fact that actually, you need to be getting into those last 10,000 seats in order to be breaking even. Um, uh, and that's not just the the rental of the venue. It's, you know, everything else that goes around it as well, right? The performers, the stuff like that. How important is it to layer all of that on um, and sort of be able to market it and talk about it in order to get people engaged with that, specifically thinking about, um, if they were to then come to the Stoop, which is your, your traditional home, again, just across the road from, from Twickenham Stadium, but, you know, it, it, the traditional home, the experience might be quite different to what they experience in the, in the big game. Um, how important is it to layer all of that stuff on top in order to sell those tickets, but then to also provide an experience that's different than the usual experience?
2: Definitely, definitely. So the, we've we had to build a base first, and people can understand what they're going to get at the stoop. So we uh, we invest in fireworks at most of our games and big screens, and you know match day sports presentation. We've sort of doubled our uh, our output at every home game now to make sure that there's a base level of expectation. But then when we launch these special events, so we've got the one at Christmas at Twickenham. We've launched a second one called Big Summer Kickoff in the spring summertime. Um, now for the it will be the second year. Then we've really got to demonstrate how this is going to be bigger, better and more special. So what we would like to do is release uh, the news in sort of waves to keep it relevant and newsworthy. So we'll typically announce the event as happening. Then we will layer in the identity of the event then we will announce uh, a music act, an entertainment act and then we begin to release things that are happening in the day like free fairground rides for all the family, special performances, um, things that will happen around the day in the pitch, legends appearing. So that sort of constant amount of news that builds it and people's consciousness grows. Um, so yeah, we need it to be special. It gets easier with time. Uh, I watch some of our competitors inside and outside our sport try and do something for the first time and I can just know they're in the boardroom struggling to demonstrate the ROI to, um, to their board or their CEO, because these are a leap of faith in some ways of what the investment you're going to put into entertainment will absolutely convert into ticket sales. Really hard to say. But when you're on that journey, you can build it. You've got some credibility of what happened last year and how this one will be bigger and better. It becomes easier for supporters to understand. But more and more crucial, you're capturing the data. You know who those people were. You can market back to them Mm. and effectively become more efficient uh, by each event as well.
0: And Donnie, how much of a pain are these big one-off events compared to sort of the regular events where you can import the data and you know, sort of thinking about it from Satisfy's perspective, right? You guys import data, you have a conversational AI tool that's trained over 41 games in the NBA or, you know, as I said, 80, 81 games in Major League Baseball and you answer the same questions over and over again. For these kinds of events where it's like one-off, how... Complicated. How much of a pain is it to be able to deliver that and make sure that you're getting the right service to the fans and the new fans, who then obviously you want to provide a great service for in order to convert into into long standing fans.
1: Yeah, the cool the cool part about the technology is it's designed to learn from all locations and all experiences and put them into one larger intelligence. So the Super Bowl is a great example. College bowl games, uh, minor league baseball, any activity that's occurred at any of the major or or what's the word, non major sports events in the last four years. We've we've seen it or trained on it. So a DJ, a music act, a zip line, a rock wall, fireworks, running the bases in baseball. So Adrian could bring the circus to a game and we which would probably be very appropriate. But we <laughs> we would have an understanding of that. What I think is fascinating is you do create a new data set when you understand the demand side. So a lot of data today is collected on the activation side. But sometimes people ask, well, are you doing this? Because they heard about it or saw it somewhere else. So the, it's fascinating to see. People are like, what can my kids do so that I can go? Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to the game match. I'm going to the event. But I need my kids to do something like climb a rock wall. To get them tired out so i could actually enjoy my experience i I like how adrian put it as a an entertainment package but there's no real pain for us um, unless you come up with something no one's ever seen and then it takes about 20 minutes for us to train the
0: machine 20 minutes
1: yeah that's probably a long time
0: wow that's uh, incredible incredible technology on that front and so adrian walk us through a little bit what the output has been from this game one of the things that i i read uh, because it was a doubleheader right so it was it was um, a men's game and a women's game and it was the if i if i'm correct it's the highest ever attended female club rugby match uh, which is which is obviously amazing right great storytelling out of that but w- what were kind of the outputs that you were targeting and how many of those have happened over the years and happened this year in order to help progress your business?
2: Two or three sort of milestones that we try and achieve. Like one is in ticket volume. So it's um, it's, it's the biggest uh, annual rugby event for men in the world and for women now that we've made it a double header. It, uh, it was a world record um, for the women's attendance um, we don't quite have the size of the stadium to reach that for the men. So there's a few ticketing goals that we try and hit, which then turn into a revenue and a data set, mm-hmm. um, which are important to us. There's a, there's a huge brand piece in this as well. So this is typically the most watched game in the league all season. Uh, this is often the, uh, the, the lead broadcast game. Um, nationally, and we then put our partners uh, at the at the centre of this as well, as the best we can to grow their um, their awareness and the value of their partnership with us. So it's um, given the media coverage it gets um, pre and post the event, given the amount of digital content and engagement we get from the extra eyes that come onto our game, this is pretty much always the highlight of our year, and then it's for us to really generate. All of the interest and growth that we can off the back of this. So this is this has propelled us to like, the number one follow team in the league, um, the number one covered in the media in the league, um, and we deliberately target um, digital content around this in the build up. So we release player cont- uh, contract renewal news or new signings just in the build up to this and sort of build that flow of excitement. Uh, we, we use our star players like Sir Joe Marler and you create some viral content around him to try and grow interest around your club at a time when you've got a real peak of interest um, so we're using it then to leverage the, the growth of the awareness and engagement in the club and, um, and on the back of that we then sm- swiftly move into things like season ticket renewals um, partnership renewal discussions and all of the commercial elements flow into the background of um, a really big strong event and, and now, obviously, as I mentioned, we've got a second event that we launched in the summer. What we're trying to do is announce at big game, what will happen at big summer kickoff. And you use that glow of I had an amazing day out or what I watched on TV was incredible to. Well, now you can actually buy, buy your way and you can be there. So we try and make ourselves uh, that, that bridge between the two events to, um, to move forward.
0: Hmm. And and just before we pivot to the next topic, which is obviously very closely related to this about about um, teams and leagues building new fan bases and attracting um, new audiences, Josh and Donny, I'd like to ask ask both of you kind of what you're seeing from the data uh, from fans who are. Uh, Buying and uh, uh, buying, and then uh, buying in the case of Fivo, and asking asking questions and participating with the venues in the case of of Satisfy. So, Josh, uh, do you see a pattern where uh, the more that people uh, buy and are invited and come to certain events, they then spend more uh, on other events? Is it sort of a uh, fixed line of uh, of growth, or is it? All over the place, um, based on the fans that you see going to uh, going to a variety of events and inviting their friends.
3: It's a little nuanced. I, I think the the short answer and the good news is, um, around seventy percent of the data points are net new, right? So when you do these, um, you know, one off events, and I think you know, with our technology, we see the data right. You get a lot of new buyers, right? Um, sometimes that's good, sometimes it's not good. Um, you know, it's like if you're the Super Bowl, for example, um, you know, or if you're F one, um, you have a lot of international people traveling in and, you know, a lot of people coming in from out of town. It's a whole to do around travel and you know, you may or may not be able to repurpose those buyers. Um, if you're doing what Adrian's doing. Which is this is still a local you know, local match. I'm just marketing a bigger event. um i'm I'm removing the scarcity, and I'm making this thing more inclusive, right? Um that data is gold, right? That sort of marketing strategy to Adrian's point on how do we get more people into our funnel and build the membership waiting list? And you know, maybe they don't want to be a member, but maybe maybe they want to engage in buying twins merchandise, things like that. So that sort of strategy, I think, is brilliant on Adrian's part because it's just a way to bring net new data points and customers into, into the experience. So I think just depending on the nature of the event, um, whether you're engaging local versus out-of-town buyers can kind of make an impact on um, the follow-up tactics of that data, if you will.
0: And Donnie, do you guys see much of that in terms of the the questions that people ask? If they're sort of new customers uh, and they uh, and they come to experience something something new, you can probably tell who are the people who haven't been before, right? Do you then see those same people start to come back more regularly, uh, or is it, or do you see a lot of one-offs?
1: Yeah, you know, to Josh's point, it's. It depends. But yeah, what's what's fun is uh, 65% of our questions are actually about ticketing. As far as like someone that has an issue at an event, it's like less than one, if that. Mm. Like people don't use our tool for like help. They use it to buy things. Discovery is the biggest challenge with the first timer of what are the things I can buy. Mm. They aren't even asking what they can buy. We're suggesting what they can do or buy Based on the fact that we've identified them as a either a current ticket buyer or a prospective ticket buyer, so a lot of fan journey management is where we've seen the data kind of fascinating, because then the repeat user actually now goes, well, I can I can now ask for more deep complex things like what can I do with my kids or do you provide discounts for me in the military is a is a fun one that I've <laughs> noticed trending recently, what uh, you know. What, what kind of, when, when are the fireworks is actually one I've seen a lot of because it will tell you what the buyer intent is and what they're interested in versus who's the opponent. So all this data, we create pretty deep profiles, but unlike Adrian, I don't know that there's a lot of companies able to leverage the data and do a lot with it because there's disconnected systems running all over the place. So at least he has a plan. I think that's super, super impressive that he's thinking about it this way.
0: So let's pivot to sort of the bigger theme, uh, from one-off events to sort of the general building of an audience and the attraction of, of of a new fan base. And Adrian, there's there's been talk recently, especially with some of the problems that some of the clubs have experienced, and you alluded to that. Rugby needs to attract a new audience. Uh, so do you see that to be the case, do you think that is the case or do you think there is the capability of uh, rugby teams succeeding uh, with uh, w- with the existing growth pattern that they have? Um, and if that is the case, what what needs to be done to achieve that?
2: So I, I think the, the only way for rugby to get out of the, the difficult position it's in, the, in now is to grow and to grow quickly um, because obviously it's not a sealed bubble. Um, if, if you let things dwindle in this league, the players will just all leave and go abroad and the broadcast rights then slip down, the sponsorship revenue goes down and you, you end up in a really negative space. The only way here is to ent- ensure you've got a really entertaining uh, product and actually you know, the product we've got is incredibly competitive. I think the statistics we look at makes it probably one of the closest sporting leagues in the world of any sport but how do you translate that then into excitement that people really understand and so for me it's a visibility piece and it's an engagement piece so like getting the right mix of the broadcast partnership of free-to-air and pay-per, uh, pay-per-view or uh, an ott platform there's a model there for visibility and then there's a huge role from the players the coaches um, and from the the broadcasters to tell the story of the league and of the individual players And that sort of narrative, it's quite hard to follow rugby. It's quite technical in rules. Mm. Uh, The season's quite uh, broken up between international, national and cups and competitions. Um, So actually making that simple to follow, um, it, it would be absolutely critical. And then getting the biggest star players to be really clearly outspoken around the sport and growing it and attracting a new audience. And there's a few of them out there who dwarf all of the clubs um, in terms of social presence and their media cut through hmm. so it's getting a, a relationship together that can actually grow the sport out of that. If we do that, I really think then you can un- unlock uh, a huge potential audience. Yeah. 10 million people watch England this weekend. So in club rugby, I said at the start, there's yeah semi-final got 250,000 people watched it on TV. So there's a huge gap there that we we feel like we've got an audience we should be able to convert, and the challenge is how do you how do you make yourself entertaining, exciting, and relevant and easily accessible to close that gap.
0: And with a lot of the same players on the field, right, which yeah. is which is interesting because we hear more and more about the players uh, being or, or or the athletes becoming the fulcrum of attention and not so much the the clubs or the leagues anymore. Um, and you know, there's the whole adage of people follow LeBron and they don't follow the Cavaliers or the Heat or the Lakers, right? Um, so how, and and I'll throw this open to to Donnie and Josh, whoever wants to fight to jump in, but what are you guys seeing from that perspective in the U S versus Europe, um, in terms of uh, the the trends that your that your clients are asking you for and the and the data that's being uh, that's being delivered, are you seeing differences between uh, between the U.S. and Europe in terms of following of athletes versus clubs or the clubs growing themselves? Um, how's that all? How, how are you perceiving that?
1: We actually did a lot of work around identifying player intents and and who is asking for a certain player's jersey or a statistic or what have you. Uh, it obviously is. For my short experience in the UK with we have like a handful of clients, it has been more prevalent. We even built a, a ticketing intelligence where you could say, hey, I wanna I want tickets the next time we're playing LeBron. Like we actually built it. We actually built it two years ago and and we didn't deploy mm. it too much because the fan didn't know they could do it. Discoverability is one of these things that we almost need to mm. tell the fans what they should be doing like in in adrian's business so did you know about these players and did you know that these are their tiktoks and did you know this one's funny or this one's like a chef or making things up because there is a lack of access to what i as a new harlequin's fan should connect up to and so that's what we do here is some social media stuff to do you just have to constantly push people into the right channels but We built a lot. We do identify it. it is a super small percentage today just because there is a lot out there and I don't think fans totally know how to engage the best way with each brand.
3: Yeah, I guess I would add and and maybe digress for a minute back to the previous discussion about one-off events. So Mm -hmm. um, one-off events, you know, there's probably a lot of people listening who don't necessarily do one-off events, right? They have their season, they have their, you know, rough-of-the-mill schedule and that's it. Um, I think the learning lesson here on engaging new audiences is, um, you know, a majority of the people who go to one-off events are new audience members, right? And I think one of the, you know, kind of challenges that I see just broadly in the industry is, um, rights holders are very quick to just go cater to their members and the people who show up every single day. Um, and, you know, that's great. And it'll it it, it it'll work to a point short term. But I, I do think there needs to be the same strategy as a one off event, even if it's not a one off event um, on how do I reach like new audience and net new consumer. So kind of to Donnie's point, some of that could be I'm going to show up on your website and how do I do discovery and how do I find information? And is there technology there to make that super easy for me? Um, In the case of Fivo, is it actually easy for me to buy tickets, um, bring my family, bring my friends shop? Um, You know, and that whole kind of experience will um, create a first impression of a new audience member. And like, It'll drive whether or not they come back Um, to, you know, to Adrian's point, we have the match rugby is kind of confusing for new people. Um, There's a lot of rules. So I'm going to do a DJ and I'm going to do fireworks and I'm going to actually do, I'm going to wrap my core product with kind of sub products that may bring in net new audience members um, who may have asked questions through Donnie's tool, who may have purchased tickets through FIVO's tool. And now I'm in the building and it's like, what's my experience there? So I think we we always need to be thinking about just like the end-to-end kind of customer experience. And is it also set up to cater to, you know, people that we need to make a really good first impression on, right? And that's, I think, the story to learn from the one-off events. And are we kind of wrapping technology and products and things that will ultimately bring, you know, net new customers into my building at the end of the day.
0: And so Adrian, where are you going to, to forgive the, forgive the term, where are you going to fish for these new audience members? Like where do you see the biggest opportunity?
2: Uh, So for us, I think we've still got that huge gap of rugby fans who are watching international, but not watching national. Um, we've got a group of people we're targeting Mm -hmm. through music and be that through TikTok or Spotify um, around our entertainment act. We're beginning to find the sweet spot of the Harlequins and the act that we've got. So entertainment, big events and rugby fans feel like the really relevant core audience to go after. And then you've got a a series of sort of subgroups that are much smaller and micro-targeted around that um, that we begin to target media towards and understand. But uh, beyond that, the biggest group and the one that we sort of struggle with really is the community rugby children, because these are the kids in our local area who feel like they are. That we should be their local team. We should be the aspirational role models on the pitch that they want to be one day. We should have the right to reach them. But it's really challenging because you've got legal rules of marketing to them. Um, so it's trying to reach through parents and clubs in a neutral way where you can't gather necessarily the data to be able to inspire them and make sure you do take them um, in into your future fan base. How
0: how big is that pool? Out of curiosity, of people who are sort of in the region that you would that you would be targeting, but are are, are restricted. And then I want to come back to the to the music question uh, for a second. But how, how many how many are in that group?
2: Well, I mean, we, we've we've um, we've probably got 300,000 that we would like to reach and those sort of kids in our sort of region, at least. Um, depends how deep you go and, and um but yeah, the age groups mm. we look at there's at least that number if we could reach them. And at the moment we go in through about seventy club routes into a head contact and go out to them like that. So you've got seventy contacts instead of two hundred thousand. But you're trying to uh, mm. you trying to inspire them all to um to, to come to it.
0: Yeah, it sounds like what you need is a tool that could actually use those seventy to then disseminate out to everybody else, right? Um, I'll let yeah, Josh yeah, talk exactly, about that in which, a sec.
2: But which is why well, Josh and I are talking. <laughs> yeah, we've got a we've got an idea. <laughs>
0: um, but coming back to the music thing, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm curious, and this was this was something that. Um, We used to think about quite a lot um, uh, when I was at AEG in terms of the repeat visitors um, who come to an event and experience it and enjoy it and then might actually, you're trying to influence their fractional decision of, oh, I really like this band. I wouldn't necessarily have bought a ticket, but I love the venue, I know it's comfortable, so I will go see it because it's a great venue, right? That's why you invest in in the building. Um, how are how are you seeing that re- returnability, that conversion um, from that audience that you described in terms of targeting targeting them through music and alternative experiences? Are you seeing that conversion into um, a, a Harlequins or a rugby fan? Do
2: you know there's a, there's a real bit of art and science in here that we we ask our fans each year you know, uh, is the music important to you? And like, yeah, but do you buy tickets because of it? No. Um, who would you like to see? And they give us like either bands that are w- way too old because that's the demographic they want or too famous and too expensive we can't reach. So we've almost had to translate the data into, okay, here's who we want to bring in, who's slightly younger, hopefully transcend a different um, set of age groups. So like Pete Tong, for example, super relevant mm. in my sort of age group of mid 40s and 30s still relevant in Ibiza, and yet still, you know, got a producing. And so he's a sweet spot for us who can transcend that group. But the data would suggest, if you look purely at ROI of ticket sales, when we announced the artist, the jump you get, you'd say, actually, it doesn't really pay out. I'm not going to do that. But when you take the event as a whole afterwards and look at the, uh, the mm. feedback of supporters and their drivers and and the total volume, we know that we stand head and shoulders above other peer events, So we feel like we have to invest in these things um, to be able to um, to feel like we're the uh, the peak event. Um, So for us, Mm. this we we need to do it. We really challenge ourselves to make it bigger and better each year. But then understanding who those supporters are, marketing back to them and growing um, and finding the trends each year to tap into is the way that we think will stay relevant.
0: Hmm. So, Donny, what, what, what have you seen in that space in terms of um, collaborations or cross pollinations or um, uh, whatever you want to call it, of trying to attract an audience from a different place coming to uh, your existing rights? Order? You know, we, we're in, in the um, briefing notes, our, our, our dear friend Charlie has mentioned the recent partnership between Tottenham and Formula One. Uh, which, which is a fascinating one, right? Building an electric kart um, uh, center within, the, uh, within Tottenham Stadium, attracting a new kind of audience who want to find out more about each one, but actually practice karting as well and develop a pathway potentially for motorsports through their love of football. It's, like, it's, 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 it's very interesting. Obviously, we have no results yet, but it's, it's fascinating. But in terms of examples that you can think of that have been quite successful or that you think have been quite good what 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 can you give us?
1: Yeah the the good one I saw recently I uh, guess it wasn't even that recently Broadway and New York sports. So Broadway is uh, obviously live music and you're paying for an experience. Uh, there's a local Broadway community and then there's also a visitor uh, tourist Broadway community. So two, mm-hmm. two, two of our clients are more than allowed to share data across if they want to connect their databases and try to yield something so i know um not mentioning the show but it's one of the top three shows in the world and one of the large teams in new york said hey let's let's do some we probably talked to the same people we actually just introduced uh, a major racing company to a major ski company and so they wanted to connect which which you might not think racing and ski but there, there's, there's a market overlap that, that they discovered based on a certain buyer type that actually does enjoy all the adrenaline and the experience of the tailgate and the race, but also has a family that takes to the slopes seven or eight times a year. So I've seen cross-sport actually even as a, as a new metric. And then for the, the music, we, we worked a lot in the music festival mm-hmm. business, and Adrian, it makes you feel better. Trying to identify which of the 50 artists people came to see at a music festival is also really hard. I've done the data work on this. There's headliners, but then there's people that come just for that band that's in the low third mm-hmm. or fourth tier, but what you will see or people will sometimes ask when is the concert or when if they name the artist by name, they actually care about it. Sometimes like when is the music they just want something hmm. like some activity some some noise in the background to create the experience so i think i think you're good as your approach is, uh, seems very thoughtful
0: josh what have you seen recently that you were uh, that you were a fan of and 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 you've presumably got a, a lot of interesting data as well from people who buy from a variety of different things and, uh, and then invite, invite people and can cross pollinate as well, given your, uh, uh, given your product. Indeed.
3: Indeed. I just want to say that uh, I'm going to go to the Quinn's website and I'm totally going to go into Donnie's tool and, and, um, and ask what the P days are. Cause that those would be the days that I would be interested in going to, to Quinn's mash So. <laughs> you you,
0: you, we'll we'll get we'll get us all down there
3: adrian you you're you're gonna hook me uh new audience with with that one that'll be good there's gonna be like net new audiences that are like super correlated to the rights holders right like adrian's point on how do i do like offers or like interesting engagement with youth rugby right like they're my next season ticket member um and they love the sport already like it's but they're young, they're up and coming. Um, there's a, there's an easy correlation there. So some of these things are just going to be, um, pretty straightforward as far as like reaching that new audiences. Um, I'll steal a line from Ari, our CEO, who's been on the podcast, right? Like he always says, uh, business lives downstream from culture. So I think that, um, you know you got to look at where you know this next generation is spending their time and what brands they're engaging with and um like what are their interests right and you know this is this is the the most um digitally native um demographic ever uh, most digitally native uh generation ever so um you're seeing you know kind of cool collaborations between brands and let's say, um, Roblox and gaming, um, you know, you're seeing kind of interesting collaborations between, you know, digitally native brands and rights holders, um, just trying to figure out how to pull in, um, like net new audience members, right? I think what Adrian's doing with Spotify and like tying in music, like I'm not, I'm not going to the match because I'm a, I'm, I'm a quince fan. I'm going because Quinn's tied their brand to music that I think is cool. And, um, Quinn's popped up in a different channel, um, a channel that I spend time in, um, it might be a little bit non-traditional for Quinn's, but super smart strategy, right? It's aligning your brand, um, where, you know, new audience members might be. And I, and I think it's, um, you know, it's just is, it's a super creative kind of way to, um, align your brand with, new culture and where kind of Jensen Z is spending their time, right? So I think um, it's not a one size fits all. I think you got to do a lot of different experimentation. And, you know, that could be brand collaborations, that could be distribution channels, it could be partnerships, you know, music, things like that. But I think the the, um, thesis there is you got to kind of do some discovery and be willing to take some risks and kind of put your brand into some what might seem like a counterintuitive channel, but it, it actually will draw on new audience members, right?
0: So before we start moving to close, uh, to close the podcast with the, uh, with the traditional question of what was your favorite sports moment of the week? Um, and sorry for not having briefed you guys on this one, but you guys are going to have to think on your feet. Quinn's have an iconic Jersey or kit, depending on what you want to, what you want to call it. The it's, it's one of, it's one of the most beautiful things ever. What is your personal favorite jersey or kit of all time? And Adrian, you are not allowed to select quins. so you have to you have to choose you have to choose something else. Uh, and I'll um, uh, I will I will start to, to to get you guys thinking. The big country Vancouver Grizzlies expansion jerseys with the huge bear on them ripping the teal jersey and the meander the black and white meander going out around the shorts I don't think it's aged well I will say this I'd like, i like I it has not aged particularly well you see that now and you're like what is that but I just remember seeing that when it first came out and just thinking that is different and bold and strong and awesome and that for me, that's one of those that's right up there. I've got a, I've got a, I've got a throwback that I roll out on very rare occasions these days. But uh, who's, who's, who's got one for me? The uh, Minnesota, Minnesota Vikings. Vikings
1: did an alternate. <laughs> they did an alternate white, white jersey, white pant this year, which was for a whiteout night. So the whole mm. it was a Christmas Eve, all white fans and all white uniforms and it's here so i i'm in i'm in i
0: i did see that that did look good
2: (laughs) i I was going to go classic retro i'm going pele um the brazil golden blue just iconic simple super sleek
0: the classic diego maradona argentina one is one that that i think is difficult to difficult to circumvent in this conversation as well josh
3: i'll answer it two ways one is um You know, I love the Yankees' pinstripes, right? So, you know, it's like the most iconic, I think, uh, jersey out there. And, you know, inevitably when I travel around the world, like you see like the Yankees' pinstripes or like a Yankee hat everywhere. So that's always a good one. They're a great Mm -hmm. partner too, so I'll plug them. Um, I also love just the Miami Heat in the NBA, like their design team. um, Like it's not one kit or one jersey. It's just like everything they put out is – um, so on brand, like, so Miami with, like, the pinks or the hot colors, and, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan, and I think they actually, if I'm not mistaken, I think they do the best from, like, a retail perspective in, uh, in the NBA, and I, I think that goes to show you, like, if you put the design work into the merch, like, people want it, and by the way, great way to draw in a new audience member, like, do something a little bit different and non-traditional, and people end up buying the swag not because of the team but because it looks cool right Hmm.
0: well the biggest example of that crossover is the famous jay-z line right you know i made the yankee cat more famous than a yankee can uh you know music and culture crossing over i'm not going to try to wrap that by the way Awesome. So let's move to the final way. We always close the podcast. Uh, please give me, I hope there are no Man United fans on this, uh, on this, or Tottenham fans for that matter. I'm a Liverpool fan. I'm a big Liverpool <laughs> fan. It was a great match. I suspect I know what yours will be then. So, so favorite sports moment of the past week. And Adrian, we'll start with you. Oh
2: God, Donnie, I was actually going to go with that. Do you want to own it?
0: No, no, I have another one. That wasn't it.
2: Well, look, mine was mine was because of what makes sports so magic. It is the Man United Liverpool game, but the narrative was Man United are back. They've won the cup. They're actually might win the league now. Mm. They're in with the shout. You know that everybody was Liverpool are over. Yes, they're world champions. Do they even sack the manager? Bang, seven nil. You know to Liverpool. It's just <laughs> that's what makes sports special. You just got it. Each week feels very different and uh, can swivel on a uh, knife edge.
0: It felt, it felt like a C-shift, didn't it? Donnie, if that's not it, what is it?
2: Uh, Fernando
1: Alonso getting podium at the first Grand Prix of the year with Aston Martin. I mean, if you followed the sport. I got into the sport from the Netflix a couple of years ago, like most people in America. And to follow his career and he be a driver who said, give me the car and I will get podium. First race, yeah. it, boom. So I just love to see people call their shots like that and... And I'm a, I'm a big fan of him as a driver, so I was also happy to see that.
0: Great show. Josh?
3: My moments off the field, off the court. Um, uh, the ticketing market in the U.S. is highly competitive, and uh, I was very happy to see uh, our friends at Ticketmaster win the Major League Soccer deal. I think that was a, a big validation of um, – you know, ticketing in the States and kind of who brings the tech, the, you know, really good technology there. So really happy to see Major League Soccer and Ticketmaster partnering.
0: And actually, to, to 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 wrap up and to the point of today's podcast, that's going to be a very interesting case study to see how they, the MLS, and obviously Apple TV with the new streaming deal, are going to be able to dovetail around data and new audiences, cross pollination of content and 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 sport, and driving uh, driving fans globally to that uh, to that platform. So great shout on that. There's been a great chat. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, uh, great to have you. Uh, you made an appearance on the podcast, Adrian, but hopefully we can have more soon. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you. I love that. Great to speak to you guys and love the examples and uh, looking forward to see you soon.
0: Awesome. Donnie, thanks, thanks for joining us. Good to have you on. Thank
2: you. And Insomnia is my favorite Faithless song,
1: Adrian. So if he comes I'm back, let me know.
0: Josh, I look forward to those green uh, green thumb tips. Looking forward to getting those. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us again. Thanks for having me, Yani. Awesome. Well, once again to our listeners, if you liked what you listened to, please make sure to follow us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a like if uh, if you're so inclined and go to our website sportsloft.co and sign up to our newsletter and follow us on socials at sportsloft.hq. All that remains is for me to say another big thank you to our guests, Adrian Wells from Harlequins, Donnie White from Satisfy Labs, and Josh Rose from FIVO. And to say to you, the listeners, thank you very much, and we'll see you next time in the Sports Loft. Goodbye.